Welcome to another edition of Cheese Steaks With. I'm so happy to have my guest here today. She is a, I'm going to let you do your credentials, <laughs> okay. but I feel as though I almost had this like, I hit the lottery um, during COVID because she is a former neighbor um, that I only discovered during COVID actually worked in virology literally the study of viruses. Now, I may be messing the credentials or the names up, so I'm gonna let her explain to her what exactly, I'm gonna let her explain to you exactly what she did, but um, you've really been a blessing over the course of, especially in the beginning when the world was just totally insane and confused and clueless. Um, you were like this little window into a side that wasn't being presented by anyone on any side because you had all this information and, you know, I was able to spend time with you to like actually get in depth, you know, you know, as much everybody hates the news of the side that isn't theirs. But the one thing about the news that I think is usually forgotten is like they have these two to five minute segments where they're supposed to explain these really complicated things. And I had the privilege of, you know, having, you know, as much time as we wanted for you to explain things. And I was just like shocked at everything you, you said to me. So before we go any further. Um, you worked in Philadelphia at the College of... Okay, so I have an undergraduate degree in um, biochemistry um, from Philadelphia College of Pharmacy and Science. College of Pharmacy and Science, that's um, right. I also taught there for a while, years later, um, at, 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 as, a viro as the virology teacher. And I did um, cell biology, microbiology, oh my gosh, name it, <laughs> I did it. Um, and then I have a master's from the University of Pennsylvania in immunology, specifically um, virus immunology, and I worked in virus research for 10 years. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so when this all hit, um, and I also worked in pharma after I left the ac academia, uh, I worked in pharma for the rest of my career. So, um, you know, mostly in sales, but I did a lot of medical liaison, also where you go to experts in the field that you happen to be assigned to, and you speak with them about the latest research and what their views are and that kind of thing. Right. So, um, so yeah. And if I recall, you... I don't know if you said you worked with Dr. Fauci, but you I, you, you knew him so, in yeah. some capacity. We did a, um, well, I was doing this when AIDS hit real big, and in Philadelphia it was very prevalent. So at the time, Dr. Fauci was very um, keen on finding a vaccine, developing a vaccine against AIDS and, um, or HIV. And so I did some collaborative work with him. I did some studies for him in the Philadelphia area since I was working in virology and I was working with the herpes group at Wistar Institute, which is part of the university now. So, um, so yeah, I did. And, um, you know, that was probably earlier in his career. Um, you know, I found him to be really generous. Obviously he's very generous because he's the man with the money and everybody goes to him to look for money for grants and it's much easier to get grants from the federal government than it is to find 
independent organizations to give you money for your research. So, um, so yeah, so everybody was, you know, clamoring at him for money. And it was kind of nice that he came to our group and asked us to do, you know, work with collaborative work with him, um, with AIDS. Fauci is kind of like a guy that is a chameleon kind of a guy. You know, he has his own personal beliefs, but if he's working under a president who is more of a conservative or a Republican, he is going to um, just kind of like go with the flow, you know, where right. because and, and he liked his position and he wanted to keep his position. So he just kind of like, you know, floated in and out of administrations, liked others better than the others, because obviously he's more um, left-leaning in his personal politics. Um, I just really, in my personal opinion, I, I feel like that he undermined the Trump administration um, with a lot of the decisions that, and a lot of his opinions and a lot of his decisions that he made and presented to um, President Trump at that time. Undermined is in, like, like tried not make, sabotage, to, but like eh. when, a, like yeah, yeah, sabotage is a strong yeah. word, uh, but I would say definitely he didn't like him, and did everything in his power to make Trump look bad. What kind of <laughs> kind decisions of specifically? I mean, the whole closing down, you know, the whole like uh, we need to, uh, you know, flatten the curve. Right. Um, two weeks. Let's shut down the economy for two weeks. And like as soon as that came out, I thought, forget it. We're done. We're done. It's never going to be two weeks. It's always going to be, oh, another month. Oh, well, maybe two more months. You know, oh, we still, you know, and the And whole, that's exactly what happened. And that's what happened. Yeah. And the whole I rationale of flattening the curve was to um, take the burden off of hospitals and you know, because hospitals were getting inundated with cases. And um, and I was like, well, so as this thing spreads, like, you know, the, the lessons that we've learned in history is that confining people doesn't work. Like, confining people doesn't work. Keeping them inside doesn't work. The virus still spreads. As far as yeah, fighting a virus, The virus, virus right. still spreads. And the virus spread. Yeah. And became an issue, a problem. And... I think we would have gotten out of this sooner. You know, when you look back again on other pandemics in history, the more that you have people get the disease and then get over the disease, the more people that get it, the more you you develop herd immunity, the quicker the, the whole pandemic disease stops. Yeah. Um, and we have some evidence of that when you look at countries who didn't shut down, like Sweden, um, like Finland. There were a bunch of countries that just did not shut down. Their kids all went to school. And they they did have, you know, they did have people die. I mean, I'm not going to say that they didn't. But in the long run, they recovered so much quicker. Right. And, um, and they reached... You know, and I know we like to use that word herd immunity, but when you do have a population that has acquired immunity, um, they're better apt to fight the infection when they come in contact with it again. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, I 
go down that road. You might want to go there if you want. But, um, you know, there was the whole argument about acquired immunity or, as they were calling it in the press, natural immunity. I'd never heard it called natural immunity my whole life until now. But anyway, it was always acquired immunity. Oh, really? Yes, because you acquire that immunity when you are infected with the disease. Oh, wow. It's not natural immunity. Natural immunity kind of means to me that that you were born with it. You know right. what I mean? Whereas you're but not But they use born. natural immunity now to indicate you got... you. You, you had, didn't get it you from had the vaccine. The right. You, got you it, had yeah. the disease and then you oh, recovered wow. from the disease. Oh, wow. But, you know, and that's my a whole term. career there really? was always acquired <laughs> oh, immunity. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And never natural immunity. So, but anyway. Because um, I know when you say natural immunity, I know you mean you got the, vi right. the actual virus. Because not everybody's right. been trained to for wow, that terminology wild. now. But for me, that was always a strange way. Oh, that's interesting. A strange way to describe it because it's not natural. Your natural means that it's innate in right. you. You know, but um, and none of us have innate immunity. Um, even you know, we do have some from our moms when we're born, but um, oh, but that's nobody's really born with like like natural immunity to a lot of the viruses right. that we come in contact with. Oh, that's so, really interesting. Yeah. But anyway, so there's, you know, then there was that argument about acquired immunity and how long it lasts. And I believe that the, the United States didn't do any studies. He didn't, he did not get any, I mean, there's, obviously he gives money out like water. He gives our money out like water to, you know, organizations all over the country, all over the world. And, um, and, the United States did not one study on acquired immunity and the antibodies that are produced and how long lasting they really? are. None of that. Um, it's only till recently that I think it was the end of last year that Johns Hopkins was the first organization or first, um, you know, scientific institution that actually took on their own study looking at acquired immunity. And I, I think I and saw that. antibodies, right. And didn't you know, they find that... They found that this, the, the antibodies, acquired immunity, antibodies to COVID last a heck of a lot longer than they were telling us from the, um, the CDC and the right. FDA and all that stuff. And that's that's common sense. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And I think that they, the pharma companies who came out with these shots, I refuse to call them vaccines because vaccine, a vaccine again, is something that is cleansing. It prevents you from getting a disease. And there is no what way. What do you mean by cleansing? Cleansing. That's the word that, you know, most virologists or people in the field use is cleansing. In other words, when you come in contact with that virus, if you have been immunized against that virus, that you are not going to get the disease. Yeah. So like smallpox, measles, mumps, rubella, you know, all of these are cleansing vaccines. So once you get immunized, you're not, if you come in contact with that virus, you're not going to get the disease. That is not so for COVID right. or SARS-CoV-2, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, and that's not so with the influenza shots. It's not so with most RNA. Um, SARS-CoV-2 is an RNA virus. So the genetic material that is inside that virus is not of the DNA type. 
it is of the RNA type. And I don't know if you remember your high school biology. <laughs> I didn't do well. That was, I did not do well in biology. Okay. The, my teacher, <laughs> she only passed me because I was a senior. Or no, that was chem. Sorry. Oh, gosh. Yeah, <laughs> high school biology. Okay. You have DNA and you have RNA. Um, and they are mirror images of each other. Okay. Okay. So the DNA needs to be transcribed in, in the cell, transcribed into RNA. For a virus, to, for for the cell to do whatever its its functions are, mm -hmm. okay. With a RNA virus, okay, that needs to be transcribed into DNA and incorporated into the DNA of the cell. Okay. Okay. To get the cell to make all the virus parts and put them together to produce so are all viruses rna viruses no okay but covid is an rna sars cov2 is an rna virus yes. and the vaccine is an rna vaccine yes which means like what like how's the vaccine so what it means is that so and in these shots are just a piece of the virus they just put the spike protein because we know what SARS-CoV-2 looks like it's like a ball with all those spike. It's a coronavirus because it yep. looks like the sun. It's a crown, and a yeah. crown. Whatever. Um, yeah, and then so they took some spike protein, and they that is what's in there. It's not the whole virus. It's only the spike protein. Okay. It's enough of the virus so that your immune system will produce antibodies against the spike. Okay, which is good because the spike is what sticks to the cell and and manages to get the genetic material of the virus into the cell. Gotcha. Okay. So you, you develop antibodies against um, the, spike. the spike. But I imagine that's why uh, getting the actual virus is better because you develop antibodies against the whole thing. Exactly. Oh, right. It makes a lot of sense. Now, right. as far as like when you talk about smallpox and all those other things right. that you could get vaccines that cleanse you, right. I'm sure I'm not sounding, yeah. you know, medically correct. Are they also, I assume they're not RNA? They're virus? DNA viruses. They're DNA viruses. They're That's DNA why viruses. you can get a vaccine that. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I always thought uh, my cousin actually made this joke. Yeah. It cracked me up, but he's, he's, you know, he's not a medical professional either, but he's like, and, and I think a lot of people, and this is what bothers me about the con this conversation where, like, even when things don't make sense, people just double down on their opinion. And I'm like, I'm, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't know, I don't know this stuff. You know, I, I like to learn, I like to listen. But when people are like, it's a vaccine, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, no, you can't just tell me it's a vaccine and I believe you, you know, like, yeah, I got, if I got the polio vaccine, I'm not going to get a little bit of polio, you know, no. like it, it's not going to help and me not have like, get polio. Either. Yeah. That's, a, that's the point. So that's kind of the nice thing about vaccinations, but not all shots <laughs> are vaccinations. Not right. all of them are cleansing. And for me to listen to the powers that be the CDC and NIAID and all those organizations sit there and, and, and the media say that, oh, well, you get vaccinated, you can't get the disease. And I'm like, really? How 
how's that how's that working right and like yeah explain right. that to me because i don't understand and that's another thing that. like, and and you're okay. coming from all your background even as somebody without that i'm like well i still see a bunch of people getting it <laughs> and it's like well in the beginning they they really I think they really didn't, but that's probably because we were so cooped up. I think yeah. we were very, very cooped up. And, um, you know, but once everything started to open up again, people did, even though they were vaccinated for huge network, even though they got the shots, <laughs> yeah. they, you know, my husband, an example, he wound up getting shots. I did not. And he wound up getting COVID. And gave it to me because oh, wow. I, like, you know, I had to stay in the car with him ten hours that day, and he was coughing and hacking, and I'm like, I'm gonna wind up getting, he, wind up getting COVID, and sure enough, I wound up getting COVID yeah. because you know he gave it to me in a very closed situation, um, and it was just like really, you know. But anyway, it was all right. We survived. Um, <laughs> but yes, but. There, there's a whole other, there's a whole other part of that story about people having gotten the shots that, um, and their susceptibility to, uh, SARS-CoV-2. There's a whole, there's a whole other explanation for that. And I'll, I'll leave it in that the more shots you get of the, Moderna, Pfizer, whatever it is that you got, the more you get, the more susceptible to infection you become. Why is that? It's very, it's more of a complicated, like sophisticated explanation, but it basically, you try to put it in like really, really simple terms. Okay. So whenever you get these shots, they are very potent. It potent the word I'm using, not so strong, but they're potent in the uh, the response that they exude from your immune system. Which is why people feel like yes. sick for a day exactly. and then it goes away. Okay. So, and some people are kind of down for the count for a few days, you know, especially after they get the second one. The shots make your immune system really go into overdrive, like really keeps it busy. Um, and, and it overstimulates more so than any other. And again, it's because of the, um, the liquid nanoprotein, liquid nanoparticle, um, technology. This is a very different technology than anything else that has been out there in the past. It's very novel never been used in humans before this is the first time that we've seen this technology used in humans oh, wow. so and the reason why in the past rna vaccines rna shots have been unsuccessful is because once they get into the body they're not stable it, um they need you need to have a stability of the shot of whatever, you know, because you have to go through an extra step with an RNA virus. You have to cause the cell to go from RNA to translate that RNA into DNA. And you have to direct the cell to do that. And RNA is not a stable protein. It's not very stable. So once you give somebody an RNA, just a plain RNA shot, it um 
it, it doesn't complete that translation into DNA because it just breaks apart. It's very unstable. Gotcha. This is the first time they've been able to, I want to say successfully, you know, cause cells to actually do that. The stuff that gives you this stability to me is like a little scary. So your immune system is kind of like over here doing its thing, making antibodies, doing all that stuff in overdrive. Basically, if you come in contact with other viruses, which we do every day, we come in contact with thousands, millions, who knows, virus particles, bacteria, everything. And your immune system keeps all that stuff at bay. Okay, so it causes you from, or it protects you from being sick all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think your immune system tends to be distracted with the shots, you know? So oh, okay. as it's distracted, um, there's no reason if you come in contact with COVID because what we've seen in the literature is that people who are, especially after the booster, a lot of people got COVID right after that, like right after they got a booster. And they yeah. were like, what the heck? I just got a booster. Why did I get COVID? Yeah. I don't understand. This is my theory, and, it, and and I've seen it other places too, that you wind up with this overactive immune system that's doing all this little, uh, making antibodies here, and when you come in contact with COVID, it's distracted, and all of a sudden, the COVID takes over, and you wind up having an infection. Maybe yeah. not such a bad one, but still winding up with infection. So that's, an, that's something that... Um... You know, everyone says that, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I got the vaccine because if I didn't, it would have been. And, I, and I've always wondered. And, you know, I, again, like, I don't I, know. And, you know and, and the other reason I this conversation is tough to have is because people will automatically peg anyone who has it as, well, you're this or you're that or, you know, you're on this side or that side or you're an anti-vaxxer or something, something like that. And right. something that I really liked, you know, again, like knowing having this conversation with you from the day it started in, uh, you know, whatever specific yeah. day that we all started talking about it in March of February, 2020, whatever is like, you were looking at stuff. Like you were telling me about studies that you have been reading. You know, th this isn't like a, a hobby you got into. It's no. like you kept up with the lit literature since, you know, you were in school, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you were, explaining to me studies that you read a month or three months ago and how the you know the person on the news was like it it literally contradicts what you know so and so what harvard was saying or whatever it was right yeah. and then on top of that like like you mentioned your husband uh got the shot you both had covid i know you had family in italy that um passed away from right so like and like, you have a lot of family in italy still i yeah. believe right yeah and so like you're you've been very personally effective affected and invested to this and so like something that's always struck me about the information you've shared with me is like you're saying this from a place of objectivity in the sense of like you just care about what is true and what is best you know and it's like so i and i think i just wanted to put that out there because it's like you have been personally affected by family in Italy and, you know, having it yourself and, and stuff like that. So this isn't like some sort of like, I'm mad at my, I'm mad at the shutdown. It's kind of mad. Like it, 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 yeah. it, it, it's always been to me, what I've gathered from talking to you, it's always been like, 
this is this is hurting or this has hurt more than it's helped you know and, and so that that's one of the reasons i've always I liked mean, talking to you that's that again it's my opinion and the other thing too which also colors a lot of my skepticism with this has been working in pharma for you know most of most of my career has been in pharma i mean and i retired from pfizer so i know pfizer really well and you know i have seen things with pfizer um not to say that they're not a great company and do great things and produce great products but i have seen pfizer do things that are unethical um in my judgment unethical i mean i've seen them make wheels do wheeling and dealing with the fda which every pharma company does it's not just pfizer they all do it you know when they want a particular product on the market and the fda will say well all right well we will you know give you this but we won't give you that uh we will give you this if you give us a piece of this which yeah mm -hmm. which again shocks people when they know that like you know the cdc owns 51 percent of moderna and that is a fact you can look that up people look at me like that's not true and i'm like you know what look it up don't just take my word you look it up the senate hearings that just happened um like a week or so ago um, some of the senators were asking Dr. Fauci about the fact that 144 members of the NIH received royalties from pharma companies and they received like millions of dollars in royalties because unlike most of the government, the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, the NIAID, they are not subject to the same rules. They can have patents. They can, Dr. Fauci has tons of them. They can have patents. They can receive royalties. They can own parts of pharma companies or biotech companies. Um, they do not have to be vaccinated. Um, at the time, and I would believe it's probably the same thing, only about 50% of those organizations, the people that work in them are vaccinated. Wow. There's no repercussions at all on them like there is in the other parts of, of government um, when it comes to vaccination or to, you know, COVID shots or yeah. whatever. Um, so, you know, it is like rules for thee and rules for me. Yeah. So, you know, when you see that there is, and again, I saw it very firsthand, um, that there's a lot of corruption yeah. there that is innate in these organizations. And these are these organizations that during this pandemic made uh, decisions for all of us, made decisions based on what? Right. A lot of it wasn't based on science. A lot of it was based on, in my humble opinion, in money. Yeah. My motto or my mantra has always been follow the money. If something smells bad to you, follow the money. Right. And when you follow the money, you will see that the money is what wins out. It's not about public health, public safety. It's not about truth. 
It's not about integrity. It's not about any of that. Yeah. It's about putting money in my pocket. Yeah. And that's what really, I mean, towards the end of my career, I just wanted to kind of ride it out, <laughs> ride it out as long as I could. Um, and then they offered me some early retirement and I was like, oh yeah, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because it really wears on you as, um, you know, as a person who takes integrity and ethics, um, seriously, you know, when you see what they do and, um, how they do it and how they muscle their way into what they want. And I understand they have stockholders, they want to make money, they're in the business of making money. And again, a lot of the things that they do are wonderful and help people's lives and save people's lives. But I do not believe that these products that they have produced against SARS-CoV-2 really did what they advertised that they would do. Uh, um, from everything, all of the studies that were released by Pfizer, and we're starting to see more of those, the um, documents that they released from, because they, again, when they sign deals for their shots, they have immunity against uh, litigation. That scared me. When I found that out, when I said, when I found out they couldn't be sued, and on one hand, I always try to play devil's advocate with everything, and I'm like, all right, on one hand, if this is a necessary thing that we need quick, um, like, all right, maybe they, you know, they, they don't want the companies holding back to provide something that will save a lot of people. Right. But the fact that it's all and forever and that they all kind of yeah. came out at the same time, I'm like, yeah. wait a second. With very little. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, you know. So uh, this is the thing. It's like, so now they're starting to release a lot of these documents. They've had, um, you know, senators in Congress have, um, and, and others have filed, you know, FOIA requests for these documents, and they're starting to get them. And they're seeing that, you know, internal documents with Pfizer, Moderna, even J&J, um, that they're, you know, they really manipulated data I, I don't want to say manipulated data M manipulated data in when it came to the efficacy when it came to how much they prevented disease how much they prevented hospitalization and death there's there's a, a it, it's a lot less than what they originally were putting out there and that they were advertising yeah and in the beginning there was no way to know that they were exaggerating or manipulating numbers because nobody could see the data. The data wasn't available. That was another thing that was crazy yeah. to me. I so, was like, right. yeah, that was nuts. Right. Okay. So, and they would all say, oh, well, it's, it's too soon to release the data. Oh, it's not too soon to release a shot that has only had six months and 60,000 patients. Six months and 60,000 patients. Most vaccines or most shots like this um, that, you know, like any of these, um, usually take between 8 to 15 years of research. I remember there was there's this one stat that I've tried to retell to people. You, you would tell me these things, and I'd like, 
you know, I'd wait for a text to come through where I could share it or I'd tell a friend or something and I'd always butcher it or forget it. Um, but there was one stat that really stood out because I have a background in research as well and I understand how long it takes for drugs to become available. And, you know, I understand, I don't understand, but I know people say like it's been in development for a while or whatever. But um, there was specifically around the time when it was approved for uh, children and I don't know what age like under the age of eight or twelve Five or something two, well there was the original vaccine I think is 12 and up okay because more recently maybe yeah. like a month or two ago it's been two and under which we can get to in a second right so but, then it then it became five to twelve and I remember you telling me something about uh, you compared it to the March of Dimes which I didn't know the March yeah. of Dimes was originally for polio I believe yeah. And it was like 10,000 or 100,000 because something stupid. Millions. Mil millions. Oh, yeah, see, something stupid. Millions and then of you... kids in schools and they would, you know, it was like kind of a thing. They would bring a dime and they would get their shots. And they did it in the schools because polio was very, a very devastating disease in children. And um, when the vaccine, you know, did come out. And back in those days, they didn't have like the organized, real, real organized research that they do now, but they found that the polio vaccine was very safe. Um, and um, it was, it's not as like the sophisticated vaccine we have now for polio. It was more rudimentary, but I think that it was probably better than what they've, they've done with it now. Um, sometimes when you fiddle with a good thing, it doesn't always make it better. Um, yeah. And, and kids would do, like, it was the March of Dimes. You know, you would give a dime and get your shot. And they went into all the schools. They vaccinated millions of children. And it saved millions of kids' lives. I mean, thousands of kids' lives. So, yeah. And then I remember you compared it to the study that they did on, to make it available for kids. And Again, I think it was in the thousands at, or something. Yes, you're looking at maybe four to 6,000 kids of varying ages from five to 12 for six months, maybe Yeah. six months. Right. And there's no long-term data. There's really no good, like what, what are the lasting effects of this, this shot that you're giving these kids? Um, what's going to happen? Is it going to affect them years down the road? That's why like the chickenpox vaccine that we have now that took, like I remember working with a one of the developers of that vaccine in my lab when I worked at Wistar. We worked pretty much always together in the same lab. He was I was working on some herpes stuff that had to do with herpes. He was working on um, the chickenpox vaccine. <laughs> That's so and funny to hear. Is someone not okay? Without mentioning his name, he is now the head of infectious disease at Children's Hospital oh, in no Philadelphia. Way. And he is also on the vaccine, um, you know, uh, the National Vaccine Council that oh, they wow. go to to, you know, get their opinion about each one of these vaccines. Anyway, or new vaccines, especially that have to do with children. So when you take something like chickenpox, which there are kids that do poorly if they get chickenpox, but they usually have some kind of other disease state or they're immunocompromised in some way, and they can die. Like I said in the beginning, any virus can kill you, any virus. 
if the conditions are right, it can take over your body. So you take chickenpox, the vaccine that took like so long and it was rigorous studies and all this, you know, like looking at long-term effects and, you know, bringing it back. The FDA would say, no, you know, bring it back. You have to tweak this, you have to tweak that. We don't like this. We don't like that. You know, and then you reevaluate and you start over, you know, not start all over, but you start from a different point and different reagents and blah, blah. Like there's so much that goes into it. And the fact that they can just come out and say, okay, we've done like whatever, four to 6,000 kids in six months. Oh, it's safe. Everybody tolerating yeah. it. Great. Let's just go stick it in 26 million kids. No, like to me, that's like, and it's a population that has in the entire pandemic has less than 500 deaths in that, that population. Kids who got actually got COVID. Okay less than 500 deaths in population from 5 to 12. Okay, so why are you vaccinated? And that was one of the biggest things where I'm like, all right, this is more than, uh, I mean, I, I, I think I realized that long before, but I think it was a great example. This is more, less about the virus and more about this just fear, this like yes. irrational fear because, yeah. you know, like oh you God, said, there's your, concrete your data. Kids, your kids are right. going to come home with COVID and give it to grandma and they're going to give it to, you know, they're going to, well, by the time they came out with the shot for five to 12, this virus had already mutated to a point where its virulence had lessened like a tremendous amount and your chances of dying from it as the virus mutates and it goes from, you know, alpha, beta, delta, right. blah, 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 whatever, Omicron, right. now we're in Omicron 2 or whatever we're, we're at nowadays. Now, why um, does it happen so that, you know, alpha, beta, like, why did we skip all the... Well, we really didn't, but it happened so quickly that they just didn't have name time gotcha. to name it. Gotcha. And the only time that they, they do name it is when you've got like a, like you've got a spike. Okay, so we had an alpha spike, and then we probably had some beta. Delta was it? Yeah. And then there was the delta spike right. and all that. So and what then, is that? So that's when they they test the people getting sick, and they can see they can see that what, it's a different it's a variant. Different, yeah, gotcha. they can look at the genetic makeup of the virus and see how many like base pairs difference there is in the virus now and from what we started with. Gotcha. That's so, another thing. Again, like you know, just somebody who like pretty logical i'm like all right we had covid then we had delta then we had omicron but i'm like what about all the oh, other sorry, names? like do they, are, do they just like these names like and again um, i'm like okay there's that. a bunch of things that they're just you know either not telling us on purpose or because they don't have time with it and it's like yeah. they they, had, there's just they so much more there. yeah you know but, but they didn't cause a huge spike right in you know and, but but thinking you know, about how you know this variant is, it's not three removed from COVID, Delta, Omicron. It's many. It's many. you know fifteen or however many letters O There's is. Actually, you know what I'm saying? I think it makes it like wow, it's a lot different <laughs> or weaker, whatever you want to say. Well, when you look at and now I'm not sure about what's out there now. They're calling it Omicron something or other. I don't know what. Um, but when you looked at Omicron when that first came and I believe that was first identified in South Africa and then made its way around the world and all that. 
even when it first became apparent in South Africa that there was this Omicron variant, the people in South Africa, the scientists there were saying, yes, it's more contagious, but it doesn't seem to be very deadly. Like people are getting over it. They're having very minor um, infections or having very short infections, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the media went like bonkers on the scientists in South Africa. Like, like that's impossible. You don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, yeah. this is crazy. And you're, you're putting like, you know, false information out there. And she's like, and I remember her doing an interview. She was like um, the head of kind of like a Fauci in South Africa. And her getting, you know, an interview that was done with her. And she was like, like, I, I am not making things up. Right, yeah, right, right, <laughs> I'm right. telling you what right. we are seeing. Right. And it may be a microcosm of, you know, all right, it's just South Africa. But what I'm see this is what I'm seeing. I'm reporting what we are seeing here. Right. Um, that this is a much milder infection we are not seeing the hospitalizations that we saw in the past with other variants of SARS-CoV-2 but I mean they wanted to rip this woman limb from limb because it didn't fit their agenda and that's personal opinion but yeah. it doesn't fit their agenda it doesn't continue the fear-mongering it doesn't continue the control factor it doesn't continue all of that it it actually gives you hope Right. You know, people get hope when they hear that kind of thing. And heaven forbid if the media should try to, or the media or the powers that be, try to spread some hope that maybe this thing is at an end. Right. Right. And right. and I think they, I mean, to me, I think that with all of the fallacies, with all of the misinterpretation, misinformation, talk about the word, and I hate that word. But anyway, the, the type of information that they were... Uh, disseminating through the media, through all kinds of, um, you know, members of the quote-unquote scientific community, and how they silenced and shunned and, um, like, destroyed members of the science, very highly regarded members of the scientific community, um, how they shut them down, shut them up, shut them and stopped them from getting out real scientific information by calling it misinformation. How the government like shut down the sale of hydroxychloroquine, of ivermectin, um, when we had not just anecdotal, but we had large scale, I won't, I won't even say studies, but we have doctors in the field that are working with these drugs and treating people with these drugs. Thousands, thousands and thousands of people with these drugs and curing them essentially yeah. from COVID. And it's like, and but they, but they were shut down. Then they started to regulate the sale of hydroxychloroquine and of ivermectin. I mean, there are people that have um, RA, they have rheumatoid arthritis, they have other types of diseases where they use ivermectin all the time every day and they couldn't even get their medicine wow. because people because the government shut down the availability of drugs that they and to me 
that means that they want you to put a shot in your arm that may or may not protect you against this virus. Right. Okay. Rather than use something that we know or the doctors that have been working with people, if we get these medicines into people early enough, we can cure them yeah. from the disease. And that is a crime. That's a crime against humanity. Yeah. It's a crime because look at all the people we could have saved. Yeah. And they would not allow it, wouldn't allow it, and tried to shut it down by, by even, like, making up articles. I remember there was a Lancet article that came out that, oh, large-scale study. It was not a large-scale study. It was a study that looked at all these other studies, okay, that were done with hydroxychloroquine. And they cherry-picked. They took some from here, some oh, from wow. there, some from here, some from there to manipulate data that they wanted to show that hydroxychloroquine was no more effective than placebo. Wow. It was published in the Lancet and people that I knew sent me texts about it. See, I told you this was like a bunch of nonsense, this hydroxychloroquine. And of course it got like all kinds of, you know, and at the time President Trump was was ranting and raving about, you know, hydroxychloroquine and, and, you know, people were getting cured. And I think he had even gotten hydroxychloroquine when he got COVID and all that kind of stuff. And he felt great and, 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 um, you know, and all that. And so they came out with this study, but again, the statistical analysis was flawed, totally flawed. And so, you know, when I first got it from people that I knew who didn't agree with me, they thought the vaccines were great and blah, blah, blah. and they sent it to me and I looked at it and I was like, this analysis is crap. Yeah. Like this is cherry picking. This is so, you know, well, it's peer reviewed. And I'm like, the Lancet is a rag. I mean, having done research for a really long time, you know, when a lot of these journals, medical journals, a lot of them used to be like gold standard. And over time, unfortunately, they have also become political. Yeah. And Lancet's one of them. It's out of the UK. Lancet's one of them. Within a week, there was so much outcry from the scientific community about this particular article that they retracted it. No way. Yes, they did. Within a week, they retracted the article. And they also said that the article was presented so quickly that it never had a chance to be peer reviewed. Wow. That's crazy. So I texted my friends, colleagues yeah. back and said, peer reviewed, huh? Okay. Retracted, huh? For what reason? Oh, well, you know, I mean, it could it be statistical analysis was a little like not kosher, yeah. you know, like this type of thing. And I feel like, like, you know, you have to use your own discernment, you know, and if you look at the back of the article, the very first thing I always do, and this is because I was in pharma for so long, first, because when I used to speak to physicians, um, especially when I was a medical liaison, they would give me crap because some of the studies that I was presenting to them were studies that were funded by Pfizer or the whatever pharmaceutical company that I happened to be working for at the time. And I'd be like, yes. But who has the money to do this type of research? Pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, they are the ones. And you have to look at 
you have to take every study apart as it's presented to you. And as it turned out, unless the statistical analysis wasn't to my liking coming from a scientific background, I would never present that study. Right, 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 okay? right. Because I had my credibility to worry about right. too. And I didn't want them to think that I was just pushing the company line. I was there to do education to them, right, 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 okay, right. for them. I thought so, you were saying if you didn't like the information, like why share it, you know? And that's exactly it. It's right. like if I didn't like the way, if I thought that there was something fishy about this or I didn't, I knew exactly, especially cardiologists. Cardiologists are the worst. And I did a lot of cardiology. Not that they're the worst, but right, they're I know, the, yeah. the pickiest right, for right. a good reason because, you know, they are – Cardiology is such a, um, you know, it's such an urgent um, thing. I mean, if you're having a heart attack, you got, you know, you you got to get to somebody who knows what the heck they're doing yeah. real fast. Okay, and they were just the most skeptical, um, and just you know, when I would go in and talk to cardiologists and especially like Penn or Mayo Clinic or wherever the heck I was going, you know. Um, it was always like the deep breath, like, okay, am I ready? I mean, I would like super prepare. I would try to make sure that any question, anything they could throw at me, I had an answer for them. Yeah. You know, it's almost like being the press secretary of the White House, that anything that they throw at you, you should be ready. You yeah. shouldn't be going through a book looking for an answer and right. then say, oh, I don't have anything on that right now. I'm like, what is that? So they anyway, were the worst in the sense that they were the best at, they, they were the most were, skeptical. Yes. <laughs> they were like the pickiest people yeah. to shut them up. Like say, okay, yeah. you know, all right. So, and after a while you develop a reputation with them so that they know that what you're bringing them is that has been, I've already scrutinized the whole thing. Yeah. I've already, you know, so go ahead, throw it at me. I'm going to be able to handle whatever you, right. which, whatever you throw at me. Right. So, you know, cause no, no study is ever perfect. There's always going to be some flaws. There's always going to be some like, well, we showed this, but you know, we could have done a little bit more with this. Right. And, so anyway, but to get back to that Lancet article, like they did, in my opinion, they did such a disservice to a drug suit because then the retraction never got to the media. They never reported that. Right. Oh, yeah. They never reported that it wasn't peer reviewed. They never reported any of that. So what stuck with people was hydroxychloroquine is crap. Yeah. And it's no better than placebo. Yeah. Right? So the government used that to justify um, limiting the sale of it, of not allowing doctors to prescribe it, of not, I mean, like, like doctors, I feel bad for doctors a lot, like nowadays, because it's like the insurance companies tell them what they can write and what they can't write. Um, the government's restricting what they can write, what they can do. The government bought, like, I, um, when I got COVID, I remember getting monoclonal antibody treatment. I remember you told me about that. Yeah. And, and it was a game changer, right? It really, really was. I mean, with like a day and a half after I got the treatment, it was just like, like, like my whole being was lifted. It was just like the fatigue went away. Um, I just felt like so much better um, afterwards. And, and there were so many states that had, especially, you know, I'm going to use Florida, but they had like 
monoclonal antibody sites set up all over the state where you could go and get monoclonal antibody treatment. And here in Pennsylvania, we had the same thing. I mean, a lot of the, like, Mainline Health had their um, places where you could go um, and get monoclonal antibody treatment. I think all the major, um, you know, medical systems in the state had that, and it was provided for by the state. So it was so successful that the government decided to take it all back. When um, they stopped our, when our administration, the new administration took over, they decided that they were going to they were going to take care of all the monoclonal antibody stuff. Oh my gosh! So they had to shut down um, all the treatment sites that all the states had set up, um, and then you had to get permission what? to send somebody. This is to this day, Ed. You have to get permission. To, to get somebody monoclonal antibody treatment. So before, could you just go to Mainline Health? And well, just... your doctor, like my doctor, like, you know, she He could said, just give it to you. She said, she said to me, um, I think you should, and, and my, honestly, my pulse ox was fine. I mean, my, you know, um, my oxygen levels were okay, but she still felt that, you know, with the coughing and the fatigue that I was having, she said, I think maybe that this would help you. Are you okay with that? And I was like, yeah, sure. I said, yeah, yeah, send me. Absolutely. Yeah. So she set it up, and Mainline Health had centers that they did it did it in. And she made the appointment for me, and I went, and I got it done. And now today you would have to get permission from get permission the government. From the government. Oh, my gosh. Yes, from federal organizations because the government took control of That's all wild. the – not so much the production, but the – um, and the production of monoclonal antibodies. And they said, well, we found that, you know, it really wasn't that effective. So... I remember you telling me, and everyone I talked to, it was yeah, like a game changer. It is. And to it me, is. that was always like, if I ever got it, that was like my plan. And yeah. now I'm like, oh, well, well I hope it works. You, you, might not, you might not need it now. But the thing right. is, it was like, they said, oh, it's really not that effective anymore. So we're just going to take control of that. And we feel like the... You know, minority populations have been undertreated with this, and we want to make sure that things are equitable. I hate that word. Anyway, equitable um, for them. So we will be the disseminators now of monoclonal antibodies, of wow. the monoclonal antibody That's treatment. That's crazy. So it's like, and again, you know, why is that? Why would you not use everything in your armament as a physician? To treat your patient. So somebody explained to me once, a doctor said that, and I don't know this to be true, I didn't fact check it, but it makes sense. And I've the older I get, the more follow the money becomes my mantra too. The guy said that if there's another available treatment to the disease or virus, they're not allowed to make it like a national emergency or federally funded or something. So basically like if there was another, if there was already an available option for COVID, they wouldn't be able to use a crazy amount of government funds to give the shot out to everybody. So they had to put down like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine because if there was another option, they couldn't give Pfizer and J&J &J and Moderna all this money for the vaccine. Because that, like you said earlier, and correct me wrong, but it's the government that's paying for these vaccines, right? Which from our, we our are money, right? For People exactly. say government yeah, like they have this magic fund. <laughs> In my mind, and I, I wish oh. we changed. I yes. wish we changed. Whenever we said government spending, like, we, we said we spending. Right, we right, right. Pay for it. So 
the thing about that. Now I don't is, know if that's true or not, but that's these, what these shots cost a fortune. Right. This right. is new technology. Okay. There are, um, I mean, they cost a fortune. All right. Hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are generics. They right. cost exactly. pennies. Exactly. Pennies right. on a dollar. Now, monoclonal antibody treatment, that is something that was fairly new. Yes, it's expensive. So the fact that they get governmental help to do that, you know, yes, I, I understand that. And the fact that you, you know, get these shots and they're, you know, quote unquote free, you don't put money out of your pocket right. to get them. Yes. But you know, I'll just give you like a little bit of a little story here. My husband was in the army for 30 years and he, excuse me, he had been deployed to South America can't remember he went to South America so many times I have no idea like he went to Belize he went to I remember where the heck he went anyway Brazil whatever and he, he was all over the place but mostly South America he did go to the Middle East but mostly South America um, and he came home one of these deployments with something he came home kind of sick and got sicker and sicker to the point where, and it was more respiratory, it was very respiratory, he was losing his lung function. So I knew some really good pulmonologists. Um, this guy was out of University of Maryland and he was pretty world famous guy. So I finally said to my husband, you're coming with me, you're going to see Dr. So-and-so. Okay, so we went. And he tested him up and down. I mean, at that point, my husband had a hard time walking across the room. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Without just not being able to breathe. And that's, I know he goes on like yeah. these 50-mile muckrack like, muck 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he rides bikes. He's, you know, yeah. does all this stuff. Anyway. Um, and, you know, when I'm talking to the physician, he was like, the doctor, and he's like, He's like, Madeline, I don't know, you know, prognosis is not good. And I'm like, what do you mean prognosis is not good? And he goes, he's like, well, I give him like five years. I mean, at the time, my husband was 50 years old. So I'm like, so you're telling me my husband's going to die within five years and he's 50 years old. He's like, if we can't figure out what this is or at least try to, to find something that works to treat him, he goes, I don't see this prognosis is very good. Um, so... Basically, what he did was he threw the kitchen sink at him. He threw every treatment, every drug, everything he could think of because he tested him for every known virus, every known pathogen, every known bacteria. I mean, they tested him up and down and they couldn't find anything that was causing this infection. Um, they even did like, um, they went in and took fluid out of the pleural sac to see if they could isolate. The no, the pleural sac is around the lungs. Well, oh, it's around the lungs and the heart, actually. Gotcha. But um, so to, to take some of the fluid out to see if they could isolate whatever pathogen it was, his opinion, and I kind of think he was right, um, was some kind of, you know how when you get Montezuma's revenge when you go to Mexico, <laughs> it's kind of a thing. Like they have, oh, yeah, yeah. they have pathogens that are in their drinking water that, you know, uh, we don't have here. And right. So it was more 
um, like a protozoan or something like that that we just didn't couldn't isolate and didn't know how to look for. Oh wow! That attacked him, his lungs. So a couple months later, I mean, this was a couple months of rehab and all this stuff. Thank goodness. They cured him of whatever it was. Wow. He got over it. and um, But he has never regained all of his lung function. Oh, wow. So he still has about 85% of his lung function. He makes the most of it because he does exercise. He does push himself. He does, you know, do all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, but the whole idea is most physicians will throw the kitchen sink at their patients. They will use every available option, drug. They'll start with this. If this doesn't work, they'll go to the next thing. If that doesn't work, they'll go to something else. Like they use everything. To restrict a physician to what they can use and what they can't use and to say to them, well, all you can use is a vaccine. Right. Well, that doesn't really help a patient when they are in the midst of an infection. You know, I mean, yeah. when you've got COVID and you're suffering, like, there's no reason why you should not, as a physician, be able to use anything that you can possibly right. think of. You know, and hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are like old drugs. They're not new drugs. I right. mean, my dad used to, my dad was in World War II and he got malaria during World War II. And, um, Whenever he got sick, like whenever he got bronchitis or something, it would kick in. The all the, um, you know, I think malaria is one of those types of, of agents. It's one of those types of pathogens that you never lose. You always wind up. It's a, a like a, um, an in, an infection that winds up being dormant in your body, mm -hmm. and when you come under stress or immune immune stress, that it comes out and rears its ugly little head right. but i mean he used to take quinine <laughs> i remember I that. What is that quinine is the the precursor of hydroxychloroquine oh really and it's what they used to use back in the day when my dad had it during world war ii they wow, gave him quinine wow. yes it's like yes so i mean it's it's a it's a more a cleaner drug now right. but it's still the same derivative and now it's made synthetically instead of they used to get them out of quinine used to come out of trees like the bark of trees oh, wow. know, or rubber trees or something like that anyway um i can't remember my my natural products very well <laughs> but um but anyway so you know but yes i mean they're just drugs that doctors know really 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 well and they know what to do and that was the ivermectin was like oh it causes heart problems i'm like that's in a in a very specific population of people who already have like heart conditions okay and even with that it can be used safely as long as you monitor the dose right so the press oh it's a dangerous drug it can kill you but it, it, again it, it brings you back to like why are you doing this yeah why so when you say follow the money, like as somebody who worked in pharma, how does that work in the sense that I know that the CDC or I know that the government, that we fund these pharmaceutical companies to give out these shots. So they're getting paid for all the shots they give out. Right. But 
um, like, how does that, like, why does the CDC do that? Like, you know, is it like a backroom deal? Like, you know, it's somebody actually... sliding <laughs> Fauci a suitcase full of money? Or, like, are these people, yeah, it's like, actually the on FDA. the board? Okay. okay. The, the FDA uh, is CDC, the one. CDC, sorry, yeah. yeah right, right. FDA is, is the one, the one who it. approves right. the drugs. Right. But I, you, you seem to mention earlier the way pharma works with the FDA. They do. And this, like, okay, when we look at Moderna. So to be able to, because Moderna has never, ever put a product on the market, ever. This is their first product. That's right. I remember okay. hearing about that. Yeah, this that was another crazy thing. This is their first product they yeah. came to market. Okay. Um, <laughs> they've been trying for years, yeah. but never came to market. That's so, crazy. Yes. So anyway, so in order for the FDA to approve this shot, I'm sure there was some willing and dealing. Yeah. A lot less willing and dealing with Pfizer because Pfizer has a relationship with the FDA. They have made their wheeling and dealing. They have made their deals with the FDA in the past. Gotcha. Um, I mean, I can just tell you one of them that I was privy to. And the one was when there was a drug called Vioxx, which was made by Merck. Vioxx was a, um, uh, an ENS, it, it's not an NSAID, it's a COX-2 inhibitor. Oh, COX-2 inhibitor, COX-2, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you couldn't tell me it was an yeah. NSAID, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, NSAID. The COX-2. <laughs> so it was for pain. Okay. Okay. Um, there were several on the market. There was um, Biox. Well, the two big ones, well, let's see. There was Biox, there was um, Celebrex, and there was Bextra. Celebrex and Bextra were owned by Pfizer. And uh, Biox was owned by Merck. And it was known to the FDA from the very beginning, Biox was the most efficacious of, between Celebrex and Biox. In the beginning, it was just the two, and they competed against each other. And Biox was very efficacious, um, much more so. Celebrex was a milder drug, like it didn't work maybe as well. But it didn't have the side effects that Biox had. Biox worked better, but it had significant side effects. As you went in higher in dose with Biox, the correlation was definitely there, and they showed it in their clinical trials that blood pressure went up specifically as you went up in dose, it correlated directly with the rise in blood pressure. Oh, wow. Yes. So there was significant, or when they released the drug, it was like, uh, it wasn't statistically significant the chance of stroke with Vioxx because of the increase in blood pressure. But it definitely correlated it with, yeah, right. okay. Celebrex did not show that because, again, it wasn't as, I'm going to use the word potent of, of a drug, but really is more um, just the efficacy. Mm -hmm. It was a much, mi much milder drug than Vioxx. Okay. Um, Baxtra came out. Baxter only had a very um, limited use. It was only being used, it was only indicated for women who had um, dysmenorrhea. So, and that's where women have like severely heavy bleeding when they have their periods, um, which usually causes sometimes a couple days. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll be totally transparent here. I had dysmenorrhea very badly during 
my perimenopausal years. Um, for two days every month, I was down for the count. Oh, wow. <laughs> down for the count. Pain, couldn't move, excessive bleeding, just horrible. And they tried everything with me. Nothing worked. Nothing, 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 nothing worked. Um, not Advil, not nothing. Even the Celebrex didn't work. None of it worked. A um, little bit, took the edge off, but really didn't work. Baxter came out. It was like a wonder drug. <laughs> the first time I took it, I was like, oh my God, I have my life back. <laughs> <laughs> Those two days every month, I was just like, down for the count. I yeah. was, and I got those two days back. Oh, uh, that's awesome. It was amazing. And when the doctors, now, and again, we only, they only marketed it to OBGYNs at the time, or GYNs at the time, because it was only indicated for dysmenorrhea. But Pfizer was working on taking Bextra and increasing that indication to pain. Well, doctors have that, as physicians, they can use drugs off-label. They can use it for any, any application that they want. They have license to do that, okay? So doctors were, so of course the OBGYNs were like, wow, this works for pain, for, you know, for this. It's got to be working for other pain. So they started taking it. And then the regular doctors started finding out about it. And the doctors who were treating, like, you know, rheumatologists who were treating pain were like, oh, they started using Baxter. So, and was it working? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the yeah. drug worked great. Anyway, so, and it didn't have the type of side effects that we saw with Vioxx. In the meantime, Vioxx was getting sued. So Merck was getting sued for Vioxx because they were seeing significant numbers of strokes. They were able to bring it back to the cause of being Vioxx. Okay. So the FDA, people were screaming at the FDA, you know, Vioxx is causing strokes and this is the, you know, stroke risk and blah, blah, So they took Vioxx off the market. And actually, they were, they'd said they were going to take everything off the market. All the COX-2s, they were going to take them off the market because there was another one, which I can't remember what it was called, but it really wasn't like a player. Right. But they were going to take all Celebrex and... Bet. They were going to take both. So Pfizer made a deal with the FDA and said, we will voluntarily give you Baxter, okay, but leave us Celebrex. If you give, give the FDA Baxter? Say, in... we are going to remove Baxter from the market oh, okay. if you let us keep Celebrex. Gotcha. And we will adjust the dosage of, of Celebrex and we'll put new restrictions on it. We'll take the black box warning. I don't know if you know what a black box warning is. Uh, yeah, on the label. On the label. Yeah. It, it, you know, has all the caution yeah. stuff. Yeah. She said, we will take the black box label and everything because it was a lot of money. They had, like, Celebrex behind Lipitor was, like, their biggest product. And if they lost it, it was significant money. Yeah. But if they could still get doctors to write Celebrex, you know, even the lower doses, at least they could save some of their income there. Yeah. And the FDA said, okay. So now why does the FDA, like what? They control that. That's their job. Right. But like, why is the FDA, like, like how are they, what leverage does Pfizer have over the FDA? I guess is my question. Like, because, why is the FDA incentivized to be like, 
No, take them both. Like, why don't they just be like, no, both? Like, because, what? because this is what they do. Because there's, 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 again, there's always, I don't want to say kickbacks, I don't want to use that word, but there's always incentives for the FDA to do this. There's something. There's something there. There is, I always suspected there was some kind of insider trading, but, yeah. but Pfizer stock has always been crap. So I can't, even, <laughs> yeah. I can't say that. Yeah. But um, they've never, I mean, I got rid of my Pfizer stock when we became Pfizer. I got rid of it so fast. Yeah, I, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. want it. Like, you know, my, my 401k, I was like, you know, they would, they would match, um, you know, whatever I had. And for a while I did it. And then I was like, after being, you know, employed with them for a while, I was like, I don't even want it. I don't even want their stock. Anymore. Oh, wow. Like, I, went, I, I said, I'd rather diversify and do something yeah. else. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really sure exactly what the incentive was, but there was definitely an incentive yeah, there. Yeah. There was definitely, um, a, you know, that relationship where they could wheel and deal and do that kind of stuff. And we saw it all that. That's not the only one. I mean, I could give you like a dozen examples, but that's one of the ones that yeah. at least people are familiar with the names of the drugs and stuff when I, you know, when I talk yeah. about them. Yeah, I've definitely heard yeah. Celebrex. I yeah. think I've heard Vioxx. Yeah. So they pulled... Extra off the market. Oh, wow. And they kept Celebrex. And, and I will tell you... How'd that affect you? You just, doctor, like, left the... Well... I, I will you go tell to the you, black market for your Vectra? Well, you know, I went to my OBGYNs and I was like, can you give me as many samples yeah. as you oh, have? Because wow. they would get samples from the reps. Right, right. And um, they gave me like a ton of oh, Vectra to keep great. me going for, you know, a while and a couple prescriptions that I could fill real quick yeah. so that at least I would have it because they knew that I was like responsible with this. And, yeah. you know, but it's... um. Yeah, and and doctors used to hoard it. They would not when the reps would go in because when a drug gets pulled from the market, their representatives will go in and pull all the drug off the shelves oh, that the no doctors way. have in their you know medicine closets and oh, whatnot. Wow. And the doctors would were hiding it. They're like, I don't have any more. Oh wow! They were all hoarding it because it was such a great drug. Oh wow! And you also said people in the FDA and CDC are eligible to own patents as well, right? They all are. Yeah, the NIH, which is different than yeah. other Well, and the NIH is the research part of all of those organizations. Right. And so they also own patents right. to okay. a lot of things, not yeah. just the vaccine, like these vaccines or shots. But they own but part of it. Drugs. Well, the CDC, they... like I said, owns 51% of Moderna. For, and okay. that may be, getting back to that, that may be... Um, the reason why they were able to come to market right. with this, because, with their first product, with right. their first product, we will give you right. control of the company wow. if you let us on the market. That's crazy. And That's I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like this is, and this is normal. This is a normal, like washington dc right. <laughs> like this is what happens in right. washington dc this is normal this kind of stuff happens it just happens and the everyday person doesn't know about it you know i watch uh, i don't know uh, what's the one house of cards you see uh, yeah. that one yeah and then i just watched ozark and in ozark basically you see the government doing things and things happening 
and you're like, all right, is this TV? But then the older you get, the more you read, the more you find out. You're like, all right, you know, I know this is fiction, but I, I wonder want... how much of this is based in truth. You people know, like... who, people who watch this, or even you, if you watch the OxyContin story, uh, documentary, or it's no, they made a movie out of it. Dope um, sick. Dope sick. Watch. Dope sick. Okay. That is the story of OxyContin. Okay. Okay. Purdue Frederick and what they did. Now, of course, you know, they, their depiction of pharmaceutical representatives is a little, I think, off the deep end. But, <laughs> you know, they always try to, like, demonize. And in this case, demonizing Purdue Frederick is not a bad thing. Um, but I still think that they... Um, really just, you know, really went a little overboard, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they don't care about people. They're just money hungry. Uh, and, and a lot of them are, I uh, mean, it's, you know, they just don't care. Just write the script, doc, write the script, you know? Um, but there are a lot of them that are, you know, very ethical and nice people and, yeah. you know, and well-intentioned. And I think that, you know, anyway, yeah. but dope sick is the true story of how OxyContin got to be the number one product in the world. Yeah. You will see the interaction between Purdue and the FDA. Okay. You will see how they manipulated data. And the FDA, because of certain favors, things that Purdue threw at them, Yeah. They just, they, they knew that this was an addictive drug, but they just kind of let it go, let it go, let it go till it became a real epidemic and people were dying from yeah. it. So I would recommend that. And, and it's, it's great. It's a great story. And um, uh, it, it just gives you an insight into how, real... how the vaccine company could work yes. with the FDA, how, this how company, parallels. How this did this, how they did this right. with the FDA, and you, and that is not the only story. I told you the, the one with the Celebrex and the Vioxx, right. very similar. I mean, it's just like, yeah. I, I mean, this happens. This happens all the time. Yeah. This is the way it is in Washington. It's always the wheeling and dealing. It's always like, you give me this... So many people from the FDA got really high-powered jobs at Purdue Frederick oh, because wow. of their collusion with them. I mean, it is really, um, it, it's it's a really powerful story, yeah. and it's true. It's all true, and um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know the the. Like I said, there's just so much that I still want to talk about that I don't I even know. think we'll have time for. It. But that was a whole, like, I had a guest on, uh, a recurring guest that um, talked. We talked a lot about addiction. And that was a whole can of worms. I'm like, oh, man, that's, this is a whole other aspect. I didn't even realize that you worked in pharma for that long. And um, yeah. I'm sure it was around, uh, at least somewhat around that time. Um, but, you know, on the topic of COVID as it relates to it, that was another thing that just absolutely blew my mind how... Like, everybody knows what happened with the opioid epidemic. And then we're not even 10 years later. We're still in it. I drive yeah. through Kensington. We're still in it. Yeah, we are. And yeah. all of a sudden, we just have this blind faith that these same companies 
have our best interest in mind. You know, like we're just going to totally forget about it. And again, like I, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't, uh, and this is going to be my next question, but like, I don't have like a hard and fast, like, thing on what's right when it comes to the vaccine or COVID other than, you know, as it pertains to me, you know, and that's, that's how I try to live my life. But like, it just blew my mind. how it's like, we saw exactly what happened with the open door. We still see it, you know, like the, the Philadelphia is a whole story in itself. Just the other week I was in the city. It's like, uh, I thought it was just on Kensington Avenue on the Avenue there, but it's, it's like spreading out in the city. The the people in my car were telling me that this poor woman, she had to jump out of the car to uh, grab something from somebody and get back in. She, she said, I can't, I'm just so stupid wearing flip-flops. I'm like dodging needles, just walking like a block. And I'm like that, like the, these are the, the company that is, you know, responsible to that to some degree. We all have to agree that they're responsible to it to some degree is the same company that we're putting this blind faith in for these vaccines that are new. I'm like, how, how do we just let that happen? The thing is too, is that they, you know, they don't, everything is not bad. Like you take the good with the bad with pharma companies because they, they really do put a lot of research and development into products that do make our lives better. I mean, when you look at the longevity of people and how long they're living now, um, and a lot of it is because we can control disease states by using medications that have had years of study, and that costs money. I mean, research costs a lot of money, Um, and, and that's why pharma does a lot of it because, well, first of all, it benefits them, and second of all, um, you know, it it does it does help people there are people that work in pharma that truly um want to help um, in, and they want to develop things that help like um oh my gosh what's the smoking cessation drug the guy who developed this drug his well, his family his parents they both died from emphysema they were heavy smokers i mean his whole thing in doing research was to find something that would help people stop smoking and you know and he was successful at it most people who smoke will tell you like it takes them sometimes nine ten times ten tries or more to actually stop it is so addictive um more receptors are created more nicotine receptors are created in your brain when you smoke than if you were like like a heroin addict or a crack addict or whatever like it it is the down regulation so you know when you have a nicotine receptor you have receptors on the more you smoke the more nicotine receptors show up on the outside of your cells brain cells everything um because it's a neurotransmitter so it, it you know this is all about up in the up in the brain so when you downregulate neurotransmitters, you, you get them to be ineffective so that they don't work. And this drug, little by little, it actually helps to downregulate those nicotine receptors. Oh, okay. so, the long, so when you take it, it, it actually makes you lose the desire to smoke and actually makes you feel really awful when you smoke. So, um, and, and so many people, it has helped so many people. 
but it took, you know, millions of dollars of research and time. Yeah. So, but the people who were involved with it were, you know, altruistic. I mean, obviously they make a lot of money, but they're also, you know, want to do this. This is their life's work. Right, right, right. You know, and, and so you have to take the good with the bad because they create so much good, but they also create, um, you know, they are capitalists. They're, yeah. they're capitalist organizations. They need to make money. They need to make money. So, because they, first of all, they employ thousands of people worldwide. These are not just little tiny companies. These are companies that are worldwide organizations. Right. They employ people. They give people great salaries, great benefits. I think that's why I stayed with Pfizer so long, <laughs> you know, was because, and I only had like, like I was going to stay like two more years till my son got out of college. I was like, all right, let's wait till Joel gets out of college and then I'll just quit. <laughs> you know, I'll just leave. And, you know, when they, they offered me like the package in the early retirement, I was like, and they took five years off my retirement so I could start collecting pension early. Oh, and, nice. Oh, yeah. They were, the, I was like, um, am I going to say no? Absolutely yeah. <laughs> not. No, this gives me an easy out here. And so anyway, um, but you know, like they, they do offer they're they're like frustrating places to work because you know there is that they're 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 good but they're evil kind of thing mm -hmm. um and people would say to me like you know when i was out and about and people would see that you know i worked for pharma and they'd be like oh, aren't you like like ashamed of yourself working for pharma and i'd be like no be <laughs> like i'm sorry it's a great job I make a very good living with that. I, I have great benefits. I take care of my family. You know, I put food on the table, Yeah. you know, because my husband's off being Mr. Army guy and <laughs> you never know where the money's coming from with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, so there has to be somebody who has some stable income <laughs> yeah, in this yeah, family. Yeah. You know, I'm like, no, I said, and with all the bad comes a lot of good. And you have to take the good with the bad. Yeah. Um, and they, they have to now. You know, a lot of times physicians would complain to me about it costs so much money. These drugs cost so much money. And I'd be like, yeah. And they're like, well, what can we do? And I'm like, why do they cost so much money? I'm like, well, for one thing, they're greedy. <laughs> they always used to be shocked when I would say that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, well, they're greedy. But they also take that money and they do really good things with that money. Okay. They... They just sponsor research and development that isn't going to be done anywhere else. Yeah. And they bring in people from all over the world that are like experts in their field to do this. And to be able to attract that kind of talent, you also have to pay them a lot of money. Yeah. So it, there's, there's, you know, it, it's kind of like that love-hate relationship. So, and see, this is exactly why I really valued your opinion and felt so lucky to have it since the start of the pandemic. Because that's a very objective thing, you know, for the first however long you were saying all the bad things about, not all the bad things, but you were giving plenty of reasons on why you shouldn't trust the pharmaceutical company with the vaccine. But then the last, this part, you're just like, why wouldn't I trust? You know, yeah, I'm, I'm very, so and, I really and, appreciate and that's that. The, and, and a lot of people would say that to me. Well, like, you know, but you know, you worked for them for so long and, and, you know, like so when the FDA comes out with a drug you're not you're not going to take it because you don't trust them and i was like 
you know, you have to be, you have to have a sense of discernment. Um, if there's something that a physician prescribes for me, and I'm not familiar with that, before I put it into my body, I do my due diligence with right. that. I look it up. I look at the good. I look at the bad. I try to find some clinical trials. I like to look at all that stuff before I decide whether I'm going to take it or not. Now, I mean, we are all like, you know, antibiotic children. We all grew up in the, I, I remember my mother, like she would have a problem and she'd be like, and the doctor would say, oh, well, you know, like just rest or you know, stay off it or don't use your, she's like, can't you just give me a pill? <laughs> and like, that was the thing. Give me a pill, yeah. you know, cause they were, so, and I'm like, you know, and we are, we, you know, we, we get a sniffle or we're coughing and we call the doctor and they prescribe an antibiotic. And, you know, this is what we're so used to that there's always a pill yeah. that we can go to, you know, or some kind of treatment that we can go to. And, and we just, you know, take it because we trust the doctor, yeah. we trust our physicians, we trust, that they're safe and they're, and for the most part, yes, I do trust the medications. But with this particular thing, with this particular pandemic, I just feel like that, and I know, I know they were like, we have to get something out fast, 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 because people are dying, people are dying. But, you know, there's, there's like a, there's a line there. Like, so we get something out fast, but, but if you don't know about it and you, and it's novel and you haven't done enough research on this, like you haven't studied this long enough. Six months is not, there's no drug that has ever come to market with six months worth of data. Right. Never, ever, ever, ever. Now, you, I, I like what I get what you're saying. Even when you go to the doctor, you'll do your due diligence. And I do. from my impression is like in doing the due diligence over COVID, you kept seeing all these red flags over and over again. And I think the general public, you know, and most people will just defer to because, you know, I don't know any better. You know, I don't right. know when the guy on the news is citing a study that's or from a rag, you know. Not telling you the truth when the president of the United States says, just get the vaccine. Then you won't get the virus. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Right, oh, my right. gosh. He just said you won't get the virus. I'm like, no. <laughs> no. You know, and, and that 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 bothered me more than anything was this, this like, story that they were throwing out there, the media, the whatever that, you know, get the vaccine and you won't get the virus. And then when people got COVID, they were like so surprised. They were like, oh my gosh, like I've done everything right. I've worn my mask. Right. I've like, you know, washed my hands 20 times a day. I've stayed away from people. I've been like locked in my house. And, so, and I'm like, yeah, because they lied to you. Basically, they lied yeah. to you. They told you that this was a cleansing vaccine when it was not. They told you that, you know, get this and it will keep you out of the hospital. Now, the typical response when that happens is, well, I'm glad I got the booster because otherwise it would have been worse. I don't see that. In, and for one reason, I don't see that. I think that the booster shot. So, so all of these shots at this point in time, the spike protein is from the alpha variant. It's from the very original virus that infected everybody 
in at the end of whatever that was in 2020, the end of 2019, 2020. Yep. Okay, it's the uh, it is. The spike protein of the original alpha variant. We are now at Omicron whatever, 15. Who knows what the heck we're at now. There's at least a 60 base pair difference between the alpha variant and what we are dealing with now. So, and it could be even more than that for all I know at this point because I haven't I haven't like looked to see where we are with the differences. So when you say we're dealing with now, is the alpha variant like Oh, it's gone. Like it's, no it's, one it's in on a lab. Earth. It's in a lab. Gotcha. Okay, at this point, it's in a lab. So they are still developing shots with the alpha variant spike protein in it. The virus that's out there now, the, the SARS-CoV-2 that's out there now, has mutated to the point where it is almost a completely different virus genetically than the original wow. alpha variant. Yeah. So you are continuing to, to overstimulate your immune system with antibodies that don't work against the virus that's out there oh, now. Wow. Okay? So what is the point? It is not yeah. going to protect you against hospitalization and death. First of all, it's a milder virus, but it still is not going to protect you. First of all, we don't know if it's going to protect you against hospitalization and death. How they can make that assumption is totally non-scientific. Yeah. How you can make an assumption that that, with no studies, with no studies, how can you make that assumption that that booster, based on the alpha variant, is going to protect somebody who's getting infected with Essentially, a totally different genetic virus, still SARS-CoV-2, yeah. but genetically very different than that alpha variant. Right. So it's not producing antibodies that are effective against this new virus. And so that's so why you were saying you why think is it, it might why does be it protect, worse. Yeah, why does it protect? Well, it is worse. Because, because your you body's have, working on the alpha variant. Variant, producing antibodies, gotcha. and then you've got like a totally different virus coming at you. Okay, I so understand that. it's like... So I just like, you know, people say that to me and then they're like, oh, I, I just got boosted. And I'm like, okay. I'm now, like, well. so when, why is it that, um, like you, you get the original shot and they say you get boosted after six months or however many months. Yeah. Like why, what are you doing when you're getting boosted? Are they. You're getting more antibodies produced. So they're, they're suggesting to you that after six months, the efficacy of that you're not producing antibodies against SARS-CoV-2 anymore. Gotcha. So if you take... Oh, because it's not, it's an RNA virus. Basically, because when you look at flu, I always tell people to look at the flu virus, okay? Flu virus, when you get a flu shot, it maybe lasts the season, you know, four to six months. Right. And then you'll see that the immunity kind of wanes or the virus... The, the, the variant that's out there at this point in time changes right. during the season and you lose efficacy. The shot loses efficacy because the virus has mutated to a point where... So you hear what I'm saying with the with, right. with flu, okay? That the, the virus has changed so dramatically that the shot that they've developed in the beginning of the season doesn't really work on that virus anymore. Right. It's exactly the same concept with SARS-CoV-2. 
the same concept. It has mutated. Granted, it's taken it longer to get to this point because it is not an influenza virus, okay? But it's taken a long time, but basically it's not effective against the virus that we're seeing now. Right. It's not effective. Now, I heard that I think the CEO of Pfizer was being interviewed by Meet the Press, CNN, or somebody like that. Anyway, and he was saying that the new, in the fall, what they're going to do is, you know, they have this new variant, they have that, um, you know, they've been able to isolate that and, and um, break down its genetic code and all that, so all of the new uh, shots that they would give in the fall, new boosters, would be based on Omicron okay. and not the original alpha variant. I'm like, for crying out loud, it took you long enough. Like, why did it take this long to do this? How many different variants did we go through? Yeah. And you're still sticking alpha variant in people's bodies, which don't work. And it's oh, like, wow. like, it's just, again, you know, like, I don't know. It, I don't know. I, I, I don't quite get it but it is what it is but at least now they're at least talking about doing that With to the, the point where you know it may actually have some efficacy when it comes to right. uh, protecting you against hospitalization and death so moving forward um, how do I phrase this question because I you know general the, the problem the, the tough thing about this conversation is generalizations but right. like Maybe not even your personal stance, but like if you were to advise someone on the vaccine, basically, is the vaccine good for anyone? You know what I mean? Like, is I think like it, who should get it, who shouldn't? Yeah. And mainly, I know recently they said it's approved for kids under the age of two, no. which in my mind, no. I'm like, that sounds it's, crazy. It's, uh, six months. Mainly because kids under the age of two don't die from it, from what well, I understand. It's six months and on. And basically, their rationale for this is that oh, that's what was approved six months. Six months and and to the, from six months to the age of five. Okay. Okay. Was recently approved. Was recently approved. Okay, I understand. Okay. Gotcha. Um, children just first of all, children do get it. I'm not going to say they don't, but children don't produce, as a rule, don't produce enough viral load. To actually, because their their physiolo their physiology is different, their immune systems are different. They don't produce enough virus to shed virus, and by that I mean, like you know, sneeze or cough on you, and the droplets. First of all, the virus that's here now, again, not the alpha variant. We have this Omicron two or whatever it is. Okay, it's more concentrated into like more of a sinus infection up here, that kind of thing. They're not coughing, um, mostly headache. It's causing sinus infections, headaches, that kind of type of thing. They're not even sneezing. Like kids aren't even sneezing with this thing. People that are getting it aren't really. And kids, as a rule, do not produce enough virus to shed virus. So why, first of all, why are you giving them a shot that's based on the alpha variant? So they're going to produce antibodies against the alpha variant, which is not going to protect them against what's out there now. Okay, so they have useless antibodies. You're going to put a brand new technology into them, which you don't know is how it's going to affect them in the future. 
Okay, they are not disseminators of this virus. They don't spread it to other people. And the people that you're worried about that they're going to spread it to are the elderly, which are vaccinated, boosted, sometimes double boosted. Okay, so that protects them, right? Quote unquote right. is protecting them from getting infection or dying from infection. So what is the point? Right. What is the point that to me, the only point is money. Yeah. To me, it's more money. And it's also money down the line because what I think they want to do is when I, when I was growing up, when I was a child, um, I remember I needed six vaccines to get into school. Okay. Measles, mumps, mumps, rubella, polio, smallpox. There might have been another one. I'm not sure. At least five. Okay. okay. That was it. That was it. I can't remember how many was my kids were little because my kids are Joel's. My son's one third, son's 30, the other one's 36. So, you know, but my older one, probably a few less than the younger one. But still, not that many, right? Same kind of things. They didn't get smallpox, but they got measles, mumps, rubella, um, DPT, so diphtheria, pertussis, um, what's the other one? Tetanus, um, that kind of stuff. Okay, that was it. Really, children are required nowadays to have 28 different vaccines before they go to first grade. Whoa. 28 vaccines. You know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer person. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not that at all. I vaccinated my kids against everything that was there. Okay, everything that was required, they got vaccinated against. And even my younger one, I think when he was in school, he had to get hepatitis or whatever, got that, all those, got all that nonsense. When he went to college, he needed some other booster, whatever it was. Not an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> but to require a child who is five and a half, six years old, to have 28 different vaccines just to go to school, there's something wrong with that. Yeah. Like, there's just something inherently wrong with that. Like, I, I just feel like it's obsessive. I think we are just, you know, I don't know. I think we're setting our kids up for nothing good. I mean, like, and I know that all of them have been tested, you know, but I still feel like that that's just like way too much it's like, just weird because way too much from the time you went to school for the five or six shots to the 28 shots to my knowledge there hasn't been a pandemic of school-aged children dying I know, you know i know like that's like why the need i guess is the weird thing you know i mean i just feel it's excessive like like and you again you really don't know what the combination of all those shots all those vaccines together what does it do to a growing child? Yeah. You know, physiologically, what does it do long term? And I believe that they want to make SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 shot, part of that cocktail. Yeah, I bet they do. Yeah, that only makes sense. Yes. 
And that's why I think they approved it from six months to the yeah. age of five. I think that they want to add that. It's just become like part of our culture to do this. And I feel like that we need to be like really reevaluating this with our yeah. kids and and what we're doing with them and the chemicals that they're we're putting in their bodies like long term. What is that doing? Um, I know this is kind of like another little aside, but I mean, you know, for years I've always had dogs. And for years, you know, you go to the vet and they're like, oh, you need this, 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 blah, 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 like a whole litany of shots, you know, which you're paying out of the pocket for all these shots and, you know, and all that. And like when I was growing up, nobody's dog got cancer. Who ever heard of that? Dog got cancer. My dog lived till, and of course, of course she was a mutt and I know everybody's into purebreds nowadays, but you know. She lasted 18 years wow. and she finally died of natural causes of her kidneys just gave out finally because wow. she was old. And, you know, and I don't think that dog was ever, I don't even think my dad ever took her to get a rabies shot. And that was wow. like, a, you know, law. Yeah, right. had to do. <laughs> I don't think he ever did. Yeah. Um, she never went to a vet. The, the only time that dog went to a vet was when I took her, I took her to the University of Pennsylvania Hospital at the very end, because I knew she was really sick, and we didn't have a vet, so I took her to the hospital, and they told me that, you know, they let me say goodbye to her, because she was dying of, of, like, you know, um, kidney failure, and, um, you know, it just, like, and I remember, like, as kids, everybody had their dogs, and they, like, lasted forever, like, their yeah. dogs were 15, 18, 20 years old, you know, and relatively healthy, and nowadays, like, you know, oh my gosh, like, you walk in the door and it's like $400 later, you know, yeah, you got yeah. like 20 shots in your dog and I, and people's kid dogs have cancer. They have this, they have neurologic issues. They have blah, 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 whatever, like this litany of diseases. And, you know, now we have like, you know, like vet cardiologists and vet, you know, neurologists and vet dentists, right. and vet, like everything. And, um, and I'm just like, like, I don't know. You know no, I agree. In, in it's, my own brain, I'm No, thinking, no, I agree. It's a culture are, of... Are we yeah. doing animals a disservice by putting all these chemicals in their yeah. bodies? But I feel like we're just over, like, immunizing, chemically giving them weight. Uh, like you said, I, I know, really think it's thing. like a culture. Yeah. Um, now, do you think, like, who, who would you advise the vaccine for? Um, I would say the most vulnerable population when you're looking at people who are, um, elder, I say elderly, but I mean, they recommended like, you know, 55 and older, um, I'm 63, but I didn't get it. So, I mean, but that's me, yeah. right. But I am, I don't have any risk factors. I'm relatively healthy, you know, um, and I made that decision for myself that I was going to, to me, the benefit did not outweigh the risk. Right. And I look at that now with every medication or every vaccine. I also, like I did get, I want to say the chicken pox vaccine, oh, yeah. but it's not, it's the shingles, shingles which is the same thing, right. it's the same virus. So I got the shingles vaccine. That was horrible. Can I tell you? It was really horrible. 
Um, like the effect get? Like yeah, after effect? you're like, I mean, I was, had a fever, hot, had kind of like a bad reaction to it. Um, so, you know, the first shot, there's two shots. I was like, I'm not getting a second one. <laughs> I'm like, forget that. Yeah. But I went and got it and it, it wasn't as bad. It really wasn't as bad as the first one. So anyway, so I'm not an anti-vaxxer, okay? Right. Uh, I have a friend of mine, really close friend, who wound up getting shingles. She wound up getting shingles after she got her, so this was funny. She got her booster shot. She wound up getting COVID. She gets over COVID with like in a week, she was over COVID. Now she's in her seventies. Okay. Then she got shingles because what we've seen too, this is also in the literature. It's not anecdotal. We have seen an increase now in um, people who have been vaccinated um, and especially people who've been had the vaccine and boosted, we've seen an increase in shingles. We've seen an increase in B cell lymphoma. We are seeing increases in diseases that we saw oh, wow. at a more, um, you know, at a certain level, and we're seeing a lot of them. Oh wow! So that's a, again the other thing. Like you know, your immune system is over here distracted, right. and you are even though shingles is not something that you catch through the air. Shingles is is the same virus. It's it's the chickenpox vaccine. What I mean, chickenpox. Once you have chickenpox, then um, it's a varicella zoster. It is a herpes virus. It's a DNA virus. It it migrates through because it follows the nerves. It's a it's a virus that follows all the nerve cells, and it travels through the nerves to all parts of your body. It migrates to the um, spinal ganglia to your spinal cord ganglia. So the nerves that innervate your spinal cord, it lays dormant there for basically your entire life. Oh, wow. Until there's some kind of, as you get older, your immune response to the virus, like, so So whenever you get stressed, that's when the herpes type viruses wake up. They yeah. wake up, they travel through the nerves and cause problems. Right. Um, but your immune system usually can keep it at bay can, you know, fight it. They'll see as soon as it becomes, um, comes out of dormancy and they'll fight it. And then you never know you had an active infection unless, right. you know, you're constantly having your antibodies looked at. Um, so, but with shingles, sometimes your immune response isn't strong enough after a lifetime. So, so, and we're seeing a lot more shingles and we're seeing a lot of other type diseases that wow. we really didn't see at these levels before that's interesting. the vaccine. It yeah. is interesting. And I think it's telling yeah. as well. But anyway, so I saw her fighting shingles and I was like, all right, I'm getting this stupid shot because I, I don't really, I don't the really want shot, you mean. Well, yeah. what I did first, what I did first was I wound up going and getting an antibody titer. I said to my doctor, I want an antibody titer for varicella. I want to see what, if I have enough antibodies there, to mount a response if I wind up getting stressed, if I wind up getting stressed. Gotcha. And it wasn't good enough for me. Like yeah. I looked at it and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. So I went and did it. So again, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but. Um, That's so cool. You could look at a problem <laughs> like that and be like, yeah, those, those numbers aren't good enough. Yeah. I, well, like that's an interesting decision making process for someone who's just like clueless to any of that. I know. But again, but you know what? Your doctor can do that for you. If you're concerned about 
a vaccine. If you're concerned about Shindrix, which is the only vaccine for, that's the only one that's out there now. So you don't have a choice. You have to get that one. Um, if you're concerned about it and you're concerned about side effects from it or whatever, you can ask your daughter, your daughter, your yeah. doctor to run a, um, an antibody screen for varicella zoster. And your doctor can look at that and see, hopefully your doctor can look at that and see whether you have any kind of an immune response yeah. to it. For me, I looked at mine and I wasn't as happy with it as I, I was hoping it was higher. So I decided to go and get it. Yeah. You know, but I think that I will never, ever get a SARS-CoV-2 virus. Yeah, at I, least uh, right now. I, I don't think I will ever get one of those shots unless they develop something different that does not yeah. incorporate that technology. I, I won't. But you do. It sounds like you do think the benefits for the uh, vulnerable for population. For certain people, yes, it's I worth think it. That worth if the you risk. are over the age of fifty-five, if you have multiple risk factors, if you have diabetes, if you have cardiac disease, if you have, um, you know, if you're immunocompromised in some way, um, uh, you know that the. But again, that is that is a discussion that you need to have with your physician. Even though a lot of times doctors will just follow the company line and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you should get it. Right. Whereas, you know, I don't know. It, it really is a personal decision um, whether you want to do it. And if you, you know, want to get that shot every year, I think if you do have multiple risk factors um, that you should. I yeah. think you should get it. Like my parent, my, my husband's parents, both. They did. They refused to get boosters, <laughs> but they were both fully vaccinated. Yeah. And I think that that's right. They're in their 80s. You know, they're they have significant risk factors, and um, I, I think that that's the population that we need to protect against. Yeah. Uh, against this. And again, that's you know, I I feel like your voice, um, your position, um, and that your position one, but also your voice being that you know, the expertise that you have, that was not a voice that was shared. You know, it's, it's a nuance, like, you know, it, it, the answer for so many people on both sides is anti-vax or everyone vax. And yeah. it's like, that's a very nuanced answer. And I think thoughtful and credible and valid. And which mm -hmm. is why, you know, I'm so happy you came on to talk about this, but um, yeah, mm -hmm. I, 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 I just wish more and I, people, and I'm not, you know, and I don't consider, I, it's funny. You like consider me like an expert. I'm not really, I mean, when you look at the people whose voices have been shut down, except for YouTube, thank God for YouTube, yeah. like, you know, YouTube or like, um, some of the publications that we were able to get online, um, publications that we were able to get from European studies, which were, Really, um, th and thank goodness that the European market did not shut everybody down like the American market did. Yeah. Like, totally. They were doing studies. They were looking at, you know, all of the questions behind um, this virus. And um, and we still, and I think I, told, I shared this with you too, you know, people are like, oh, it escaped from a wet market. And I remember talking to you from the very beginning. I was like, oh, no, like that is the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> they really expect us to believe yeah. that this jumped from some animal right. into a person. Right. As sophisticated as this virus is, right. the way it works, it, it, it like, 
you know, I mean, really the mechanism of how this agent, how this virus infects cells is so sophisticated. I'm like, I'm sorry. This is not natural. Right. This did not come from nature. This came from a lab somewhere. And whether or not it was engineered, and I believe it was engineered to do, because coronaviruses by themselves do not have the ability to infect humans. These types of coronaviruses, bat coronaviruses, animal coronaviruses, cannot infect humans on their own. We have human coronaviruses that give us the common cold. Yes, they have the ability to yeah. infect humans. But an animal coronavirus on its own, like mutate to the point where it becomes this sophisticated. And I'm like, no way. I no. do remember you telling no, me that no. in March. Yes, no, no. And it's since come no. out. That yes. All, everything yes. you, I'm telling you, everything you told me since came out. And it's like. You know, and of course, people like rip me to shreds. They're like, oh, you're one of those deniers. And I'm like, I'm not a denier. I'm telling you, right. I'm looking at this and I'm looking at what's out there and I'm looking at the studies and you're looking at the mechanism of how this thing infects people. And there is no way that this happened on its own. Now, whether it was released on purpose or it was a lab accident, I am of the mind to think that it was, I'm going to go on the, you know, this side of it that I believe that it was an accident because from what I've seen in the past with, you know, uh, Chinese um, <laughs> uh, facilities like viral virus facilities and whatnot, they're, you know, they're very careless. They're just not as scrupulous as we are in the United States. And we're so crazy in the United States when it comes to like, you know, um, like a, a level four lab um, when it comes to, you know, the get up and all the procedure of getting in and out of there, you know, while you're from work, people who work in there. And I did have never seen that. There's always, I mean, they have a history of leaks from their labs and, oh, wow. and, and all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't surprise me that, um, you know, that this would, would have been a, a leak, an unintentional leak yeah. from the lab. And that's what started this whole thing. And that's why the Chinese government, has done so much to try to cover it all up and won't yeah. let anybody in there and all that kind of stuff and um you know has manipulated hundreds of um scientists around the world into you know signing their names to documents that say oh no this could never be something that was developed in a lab it had to come from na i'm like how much money did they pay you to say that? Right, right, like, right, right. Really? Right. You know, I, I just, you know, and now all of a sudden they're like, you know, reneging on that. Oh, well, you know, we know so much more now than we did then. And then I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it, it just, um, yeah, there's just like a, a lot. Um, I mean, a lot that, you know, common sense, people that have even a little bit of scientific background but you know can can if you have enough common sense you can figure it out like this makes no sense well i think that was the jump i think for a lot of people and i think the further it goes on the more people are yeah. seeing even that we're like well wait a second i'm i got triple boosted and i still got it and i think more people are seeing the common sense yeah but 
you know, I, I know you might not consider yourself an expert compared to maybe other people in your field, but yeah. when you can go into the doctor's office and ask him about the levels of a specific virus and then make that decision based on numbers yourself, in my opinion, you're an expert. <laughs> so I really appreciate hearing your perspective. I appreciate it from everything, um, everything you had. I've, I've taken up so much of your time. I know, I know, but um, then I talk too much too. So. But you have so much to say and I love it. Um, so I want to wrap up, but before I do, I do want to ask you about a study that I sent you and oh. to tie it all the way back in um, as somebody who worked in the research and you know the studies you read based around COVID, something that's always driven me crazy is the studies that they put out and the methodology of what they do um, is the first thing I always check. And this study I sent you was uh, ride share. So it's actually a funny story. The way I heard about it was I was driving in a car with a passenger in the car and on the radio, the DJ said, a study just came out that says your Uber has more germs than a toilet seat. And I remember looking in my rear view, and fortunately she had headphones in. Um, so she like, maybe she heard it, but she didn't like notice at all. I'm like, oh man, that's gross. So I'm like, all right. So I looked it up and the study shows that there's more germs in a Uber than in a rental car and then in a taxi. Um, and it even goes on to say that there's more germs in or there's more germs in a toothbrush holder than in a taxi, but not more than a ride share. And it was just all this crazy stuff. And I looked into it. And the thing that the first thing that really caught my eye was they examined nine cars. So this was three Ubers, three taxis, and three rental cars. Yeah, big it was like, study. Right there. It's like nine <laughs> cars. Are you kidding me? Um, uh, but basically, I feel I wanted to ask your opinion on it. But basically, my thinking was it's a nice headline, but it like. It, you can't tell me that you'd rather, you know, you know, put your tongue on the in an on the on the door handle of an Uber than on a public toilet seat. You know what I mean? Like, I and it's like I know I use my to my toothbrush all the time, and I'm not worried about the bacteria. So I just kind of wanted to hear a virologist opinion on how sick. What's the potential of getting sick every time I get in an Uber or every time someone gets in my Uber? Because, you know, there's occasionally I'll be like, you know, I, I drop, you know, I dropped a piece of food on my seat in the car that someone's just sitting in. I was like, ah, I'm not going to eat that, yeah. you know, but I'm like, uh, if I put my hand there and then I rub my face by accident, like, am I going to be in the hospital in a day, you know? No. All right. Biology 101. Our world is filled with bacteria. Our air, our skin, our hair, your hair, your hair is filled with bacteria, okay? Never like, you know, I remember like um, when I was in um, school, like, you know, if we were eating lunch, one of the nuns was, I, I went to Catholic school, one of the nuns would be like, you know, if you just happen to like touch your hair and then, you know, eat something at lunch, she would, they'd come around and they'd smack your hands don't touch your hair and then put food in your mouth and use your hand and put your food in your oh, mouth. Oh, wow. Because your hair has tons of, of bacteria. Your skin is covered with millions of bacteria. Everything in the world is covered with millions of, bac uh, of bacteria and viruses, but mostly bacteria. Okay. So they kind of, you know, give you this idea that, oh my gosh, there's millions of bacteria. There's millions of bacteria here. There's millions of bacteria everywhere. Yeah. Your skin... You, you probably have millions and millions of bacteria of all different kinds on your skin, naturally, right? You, but the thing is, they're, they're, they're not all harmful. Yeah. A lot of them, they're your normal flora. They're helpful 
to you. They actually protect your skin. A lot of them will protect your skin. Your skin protects you. That is your, your barrier between, you know, um, the bacteria that's, that's on your skin, that lives on your skin. And, um, you know, so from you and, and getting infected, but it, it's nothing to be like, like, it's ridiculous. We could be, you can't, you're, you can't put yourself in a bubble, yeah. you know, and most of these bacteria, your immune system has come in contact with millions of times, gotcha. millions, millions right. of times. So, you know, E. coli, these are bac bacteria don't change or mutate quite as much as viruses do as they go from person to person. You know, and a lot of these bacteria that they were talking about, like, you know, E. coli, staph is what's mostly on your skin. Staph infections are nasty. So if you are an immunocompromised person, yes, and you, um, you know, have a cut or whatever, and you get a staph infection from that, it can get very, very bad. It can get systemic and, and whatnot. But again, the conditions have to be right for you to get an infection from any of these common normal bacteria gotcha. that are out there so like you said it was a good headline i wouldn't take i wouldn't i i, I wouldn't put much cream i wouldn't be afraid of it first of all yeah. because what they were stating was common knowledge gotcha. that is common knowledge that sounds Whether scary there's when you put more it like yeah. yeah when there's well so there's more in your car than there is i would say there's more in your car because the material in your car like this type of stuff has probably, like the plushy stuff, um, has more pores, so it collects bacteria much okay. more so. Whereas with your skin, if you shower every day, when you shower, you scrub your skin and you scrub all of the bacteria okay. off. You get it, you know, you wash your hair, all the bacteria. Now, it grows back immediately because you come and you get out of the shower, you come yeah. in contact with the air and there's bacteria and they land on you yeah. and they grow, right? right? We can't see them obviously, but they're there. Um, but here, especially in fabrics, they tend to get more stuck and stay in fabrics much more so okay. than they would on your skin. Now, this is, this is, you know, uh, armchair doctor. I always thought, uh, I believe maybe you told me, um, the sun is like a natural it is uh, yes. antibacterial agent. And then I it, thought in the yeah. in it, the summertime it gets so hot in my car. I know heat's bad. And that's for, a good thing because it so will I, kill bacteria. Okay, yes. all right. It kills so bacteria, I'm, I'm, I'm it kills viruses. Yeah. Yes. So there are lots of things that denature protein. All of these bacteria, viruses, they're all protein. Okay. Every everything. That that's the funny thing, you know, like we're all carbon based. I always think it's, you know, like people that are crazy about, oh, it's all organic. And I'm like, everything in the world is organic, okay? <laughs> everything is made out of carbon. Everything is carbon-based. So everything in the world is organic. I understand what they're trying to say, but organic is really not the word that you should be using because everything is organic. Yeah. Everything that is carbon-based is organic. So, but anyway, um, so protein, the sun, the UV rays of the sun, they denature protein. So if you have bacteria, viruses, I remember when they closed the beaches and I remember thinking to myself, that is the most ridiculous thing that they could possibly do. Could there be any safer place on the earth to be than pure than sunlight in the right, sun? Right. I mean, the salt water, salt water denatures protein. So the ocean, what is it? Salt water. Uh -huh. 
the sun, UV rays, denatures protein. And I the also sand, remember the sand oh. also has Ooh. silica and whatnot, which also denatures protein. Uh -huh. So the safest place you could possibly be in a pandemic is the stinking beach. And I also and remember you told me um, in the summertime, uh, heat expands the virus, so it's too big to enter yeah, in your cells or something like that. I just remember thinking, like, okay, the hotter yeah. things are, the better, the safer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's mostly with RNA viruses. Okay. That that happens. Not bacteria as much, but. Right. But mostly RNA viruses. Yes, they tend to expand, and if they don't become denatured totally, they tend to expand. So you know, but it's not a steadfast rule. So that leads me to my final question. You mentioned you got it driving in a car for ten hours with your husband who was coughing. And back to the Uber, um, it, it's still one of the craziest things. And it was I'm sure it was a decision made by Lyft and Uber who are headquartered in California and they don't have to deal with Philadelphia winners. But in, I'll never remember, every time I logged on the app in the middle of February, there was one time specifically it was freezing rain. Tell me to keep my windows down. <laughs> and I'm like, wear a mask, windows down. I'm like, I'm going to get sicker from the cold than anyone could give me. So my question is, in driving Uber, and let's take COVID off the map, even before COVID, right? Somebody has a cold in the back. I mean, I've felt it before. It's one I'll never forget the feeling. They coughed, and you feel the warm on the back yeah, of your neck. You're like, oh, God, right? So, like, what are the odds if I'm riding with somebody who's sitting in the back seat, and they're sniffling and coughing for five, ten minutes? What are the odds? Is it, like, very high? Is it hard to tell? Is it, is, does putting the windows down make a difference? Is it it a does. Okay. It does. Um, that's how they, they uh, stopped the, the 1917-1918 pandemic. They took people in the middle of the winter. They took them outside. Oh, wow. They put them outside because they found that in the hospitals that they were just, it was spreading too fast. And oh, it, wow. People were getting too sick. Out in the fresh air, they were opening all the windows and out in the fresh air, because you constantly oh, have wow. movement, the air movement, and they were just bundling them all oh, up wow. in the middle of the winter. So there was some rationale from yes, Lyft and Uber yes, in California. All right, you yes. got me there, Lyft. <laughs> you got me there, Uber. Yes, um, and that's why I said the safest okay. place you could possibly be is on the beach. Right, everything, oh, okay. You have the air, the movement. Yeah. Air is the best place. I, I mean, even during the pandemic, you know, when they 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 closed the parks and they wouldn't let the kids play. You couldn't even go sit on a picnic table yeah. and they would come and arrest you. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, and me and my husband, we would just go out and walk and walk and walk and walk even during the winter. The best thing for you is the air. You know, viruses can't just, they can't attack you like in the air. The worst thing you can do is keep yourself closed in. Um, but again, you have it a filtration system in the car, you know, and that is also really, really helpful to constantly keep that going. Okay. Even if you're, if you, the air conditioning system, or even if, you know, on a day like today where it's really nice, keep the windows open or even just keep the air filtering through. Right. Right. Um, that is, that is the best thing. That's why they say the safest place, another safe place you can be is on an airplane. No one's caught COVID on an airplane. Oh, because they're always circulating the, air. And air. they have like very sophisticated filtration systems. Yeah. They have the best filtration systems oh, wow. anywhere. But yet they still wanted to put masks on you. They yeah. still wanted to like, you know, I'm just like, why? Like, yeah. why? And masks on little kids. I mean, I can't tell you the harm they've done with these little kids. Uh, I have a friend of mine who is a psychologist and she spent the last year 
um, doing little Zoom calls, like doing Zoom calls with kids. And she, she's mostly, you know, she's a marriage counselor. And, like, she got more and more requests for people asking her to, like, you know, can you please talk to my, you know, to my child because I can't find anybody to talk to her. And she won't take the mask off. She won't take the mask off oh. to go to bed. She won't take the mask off to take a bath. She won't take the mask off to eat. Like, she's, like, afraid to eat. And she won't eat oh, because she's geez. afraid. Because the kids were so traumatized by these stupid things on their faces that, um, you know, they were they thinking were that if yeah. they took them off, they were going to die. Right. It's like, oh, my oh, God. So like, it is. It's just horrible the harm that we have done that they have done yeah. to children um in 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 this whole thing it is is just a disgrace it's disgraceful you know they they like oh oh you know we love the children we're thinking about we're doing it for the children i'm like you're ruining that you've ruined their childhood you've ruined yeah. their lives yeah. and and you've made some really permanent damage um with them i have another friend of mine she teaches little kids she teaches english as a second language just to like second graders she's like she's like you know she's in school they finally when they opened up in school again you know she's got the big plastic thing in front of her in front of her face and she's like i'm pulling down the mask she's like because kids cannot learn another language if they can't see that makes sense you right? talking because yeah. they learn from seeing how your mouth moves right. and all that so and you know and then she'd like try to put it back up again but then when she had to talk to them she'd pull it yeah. down. she's like it's ridiculous yeah. it's like, ridiculous they can't learn english if yeah. they can't see me speak and we have put this country academically back so far academically and mentally physically emotionally it's just been you know yeah horrible yeah. I, I think it's horrible and it and they they if they followed the playbook that they did back in the early 1900s we would not have yeah. gone through we would not have been as bad off as we yeah we are Man, that's, that'd be a tough note to end on. We were so happy for a second, too. I was like, all right, I'm saving my Uber. And then we went. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to throw that in there, too, because that's, that's the finale yeah. of it. It's like, you know, I hear that a, a lot, A hard too. truth to end. Well, yeah. I know you have Delco roots in Lansdowne. Did you grow up in Delco? I grew up in Collingdale. Collingdale, okay. So you have a, a very fine cheesesteak palate, I assume. <laughs> Um, we're not going to have time for a cheesesteak today. I'm, That's I, fine. Well, what's your recommendation? I'll have to try it out. What is your favorite cheesesteak in the Delaware Valley? Leo's. Leo's. Where's Leo's at? Sharon Hill. Sharon Hill, Leo's. Is that? Um, it's on is it? Chester Pike. Okay. In Sharon Hill. Leo's heard here first. That'll be the review. I, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for all the time you spent with me over the pandemic. I, I honestly felt like I like had a little cheat code where I like didn't freak out as much as everyone else because I had this very nuanced and very informed opinion. So I, I really appreciate it. So thank you very much. No problem. And thanks for being a great neighbor. Thanks. Yeah. You too. <laughs>